0: All right, uh, joining us now, as promised at the top of the show, is our good friend Lisa Pease in Los Angeles. Lisa was the former editor of the investigative magazine Probe and also the author of The Assassins, which is a, a collection of essays and articles that appeared in Probe magazine. Lisa's been following what's going on regarding the paperless voting machine issues here in California. Good to be back. What is happening today here in Sacramento has to do with uh, certifying or decertifying paperless voting machines. You're very up on this topic. Please let us know what's happening.
1: Well, the Voting Systems and Procedures Panel is looking at the a uh, couple of different machines. They're looking at the Diebold, or Diebold, as some people say, but it is pronounced Diebold. Okay. Um, they're looking at the Diebold GEMS. Central tabulation system to see if they're going to certify it for use in the state. When Kevin Shelley was uh, the Secretary of State before he was thrown out, um, he had decertified all the Diebold machines right. in the state, and you know basically kicked them out, and you know even said they had engaged in criminal practices. They had, for example, updated code that had not been audited and didn't tell anybody, which was you know direct violation of state procedure.
0: Sounds criminal to me.
1: Yeah, as I was going to say, it's, it's kind of bizarre the state is even considering doing business with a company that has already shown bad faith to the state, not to mention the country. We'll, so we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. But uh, also on the agenda, uh, they're talking about a, a machine called Automark that's essentially an optical scan system, mm-hmm. um, which isn't so bad because at least it produces a paper ballot. Uh, but Automark is being marketed and sold and counted by ES&S, and ESNS is the kind of partner company, if you will, to Diebold. Two brothers, Todd and Bob Yrosevich, um, work at both of those. You know, Bob Eurosevich went off to Diebold, and Todd stayed with <laughs> ESNS. Together, those two companies count about 80 percent of all the votes in the country. Nice. So, if you want to steal an election, all you need is to get Diebold and ESNS in, and you know, and you've got two guys who are not only Republicans, but have actually employed criminals. Diebold alone had hired five convicted felons. Um, That big brouhaha in Washington state where they had to, you know, recount the election of the governor. Uh, One of the Diebold uh, guys there, Jeffrey Dean, who had access to the machines during the election, is is a guy who is not allowed anywhere near checks because he's a convicted forger, but he is allowed near our vote. (laughs) So, what's I that did, about?
0: I did not know that. Oh, it's
1: just, it gets worse. I mean, I'm just, you know, the you know, tip of the iceberg
0: here. We need to do probably another show on this in the future, but I, but I know that there's breaking news about what's happening right now, and I want to just kind of get our listeners up to speed on it, and we'll probably do a more comprehensive uh uh, evaluation later, but but your emails that you sent me some time back noted that the Los Angeles County Registrar voters Connie McCormack is apparently part of this assault on the uh, on the audit system.
1: Right, right. Well, there's the Los Angeles problem, the statewide. I'm going to talk briefly about the statewide, and then I'll move to Los Angeles. Um, statewide, there's a network of voting activist groups called the California Election Protection Network. That includes many separate groups and they've been up in sacramento this week lobbying you know the state legislators and you know their demands are pretty simple no proprietary software no companies that employ convicted felons no modems wireless cards internet connections um you know no moving parts that could be exchanged during the vote counting process that could affect the vote and of course nothing that doesn't produce a paper ballot and it's not enough to have a paper ballot. You don't want to leave that for a recount. You have to count the first time at least some portion of the paper to verify the machine counts. So that's that's kind of a statewide effort. Now, locally, Connie McCormick is a very interesting character. I went to the, the Los Angeles uh, County Board of Supervisors meeting about a month and a half ago or so, and I sat there and I watched her kind of lie by omission and i don't use that term lightly i mm-hmm. mean we were there were about 40 of us sitting in the audience and we got up to speak to the board and we were all talking about the dangers of diebold uh-huh. and what was really scary to me is that none of the supervisors understood why we were there because <laughs> connie mccormick had not told them she was bringing diebold into the county oh. And so the county supervisors are her boss She's an appointed position. She's mm-hmm. from Texas, by the way, which I find very interesting. I'd sure like to know more about her background and
0: mm-hmm. uh, hope
1: to you know have some more information maybe by the next time we yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, that'd be good because that could be interesting. Uh, but but at one point, my particular county supervisor Yvonne Burke, you know, kind of blurted out, "Why are all of them here?" you know, Connie, why don't you just tell them we're not going to use Diebold? And it's at Connie's face, you know, kind of twitched because <laughs> Connie's plan is to use Diebold. And I realized suddenly that my own supervisor doesn't know what the registrar is doing Wow. in our county. Wow. And, and Connie never once used the name Diebold, and yet her whole plan, this the meeting was to approve an RFP, a request for proposal, that, that was created in such a way that only Diebold would pretty much fit the requirements. And as, you know, she never used their name, but it was clear to those of us who've talked to people on her staff and other people who've been willing to come forward kind of on the quiet with information, because there are people, you know, within her office who are concerned about what's going on.
0: So where did it wind up on that? Pardon? Where did that wind up?
1: Well, the RFP is out. I don't know that a final decision has been made, but I, uh, in part, they will take their signal from the state, which is why the hearing, you know, on the on Thursday, you know, today is so important.
0: Yeah.
1: uh, Because if the state certifies D-BOLD for the GEM Central Tabulator, it'll be almost impossible to keep it out of Los Angeles County. My, my. And of course, Los Angeles County and and San Francisco are really the only two places in the state where you get all the blue votes. I mean, you get big chunks of the state's vote right in those two. So if we get D-BOLD counting our votes, you know, we'll never know if the count is accurate. I just You know, this is a company that has proven themselves not worthy of our trust. And there is a law in California books that if, you know, some vendor has been, like, thrown out because of crime, you can keep them out of state for up to three years. So some of the people are talking to the legislators saying, why aren't you doing that because we even have this option here?
0: Well, Lisa, we we have got to continue to follow this. I noticed also the News and Review, our fine local investigative uh, independent paper has a – had a recent guest commentary by Jim March, apparently uh, uh, representing Black Box Voting, which is now up here in Sacramento too. Uh-huh. We need to, we need to follow all of this.
1: Yeah, Jim March had an interesting conversation with Connie McCormick when we were there because she recognized him because he's been to a lot of the hearings. And, yeah, you know, up and down the state, and <clears throat> she literally told him, and he quoted this back to you know all of us, and uh, Connie's point of view was why should I care about a company's ethics? All I care about is the vote. (laughs) In other words, ethics don't matter. Ethics
0: schmethics.
1: I was just shocked. I was shocked. Here's a public official saying, you know, we don't care about the ethics of the people we give state public money to. Well, damn it. I'm the public and I care. Uh I don't want my money going to people who've shown bad faith. I think that's terrible.
0: Well, I we do too, and we're going to have to continue to follow this with you. It sounds like it's all up in the air right now, but I guess the dust will settle in the next, what, couple weeks?
1: Yeah, we'll we'll know a lot more in the next couple of weeks. You know, I'd be very, very disappointed, but not necessarily surprised if the state does certify D-BOLD. And I think that's really bad news for people in the state who care about how their vote is counted on any side of the political.
0: (laughs) Well, we're not giving up on this topic. Lisa, come back in two weeks and update us. All right, we will do. All righty, thanks again. Thanks. That was Lisa Pease. We look forward to, uh, to following this story, hopefully without uh, the catastrophe that might, uh, might ensue if uh, we start certifying all of these machines that uh, Kevin Shelley kept out of the state. Um, stay tuned. Let's do a bit of science. Uh, where science meets politics, apparently cities are leading the way to a greener world. New Scientist magazine notes that um, even though the United States is uh, trying to do its best to ignore the Kyoto Protocol... 140 American cities have signed up to meet the targets. And the magazine specifically noted that uh, in Sacramento, uh, that that tree shade is required for 50% of, of all parking lots. This is kind of analogous to smoking regulations. The federal government, the state government were just bought out by big tobacco, but yet we do have sane restrictions on smoking all over America today thanks to genuine grassroots efforts. And maybe something similar is taking place in our cities as regards to uh, doing what we can to reduce uh, the CO2 levels being emitted. There's much concern over in Asia about bird flu. Um, There was a report that apparently 500 geese, gulls, and ducks uh, turned up uh, dead in an area of western China, uh, prompted nine young people to to anonymously post a picture on on the web of these dead birds, which uh, apparently got them arrested by Chinese officials who are disputing the fact that these birds uh, are a problem or that anybody's died of bird flu in the area. Uh, The young people had, um, these so-called young people, had earlier claimed that 121 people have died of bird flu in the area. Um This is a great concern if, if, um, if, if flu, which exists in animal populations as well as humans, uh, can mix up its genes between fowl, such as geese and ducks, and, uh, and pigs, which, where the flu also can, um, can set up shop. If they can mix up their genes and become infectious to humans, this could represent another pandemic like the Spanish flu of 1918. And unfortunately... The conventional flu shots do nothing to protect us from this particular strain of flu. Um, Tamiflu might. So you might want to consider asking your doctor for a prescription and keeping it in the refrigerator. I have done so because I'm a little bit concerned about what might happen next fall when, uh, when flu season arrives. And some bad news on that. Ten pills of Tamiflu will set you back about $60. And the further bad news is it's quite unclear whether it will really be effective in preventing bird flu should it uh, should it become an epidemic in humans, but it seems to be about all we've got at the moment. We've only got a few minutes left, so I wanted to note uh, three obituaries uh, from show business that I think um, should be remarked upon. Mr. McMillan, some appropriate theme music for our first. We note with sadness the passing of comedian Frank Gorshin, who played the Riddler on uh, TV's classic uh, camp comedy, the original ABC TV Batman series uh, uh, of the 1960s. Gorshin was a gifted impressionist who appeared numerous times, evidently, on The Ed Sullivan Show. Um... He signed up to, to, to appear as the, the colorful uh, villain in the, the Batman TV series, but uh, ABC was fearful of the fact that they had appeared to have a flop on their hands. Um, the market testing indicated that Batman was going to do a belly flop. They decided to postpone um, the show's cancellation for a few weeks by launching the series with the program featuring Gorshin as the Riddler. Uh <laughs> But in fact, uh, it turned out to be a smash hit and uh, was really a powerhouse on television for a couple of years. For my money, the, the, the Adam West Batman was the greatest, and that was really, really high comedy back on TV. I, I just had a chance to review the, the movie version, uh, aptly titled Batman the Movie from 1966, and I just forgot how, how funny that show was. The B did a, 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 um, a review of other Batmen Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, and apparently Christian Bale in the new version coming out uh, about this weekend. And, you know, there's just something wrong with people that take the Batman character with deadly seriousness. I, you know, I I just, you know, give me the comedy version every time. I did love the villains. Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, uh, Cesar Romero as the Joker, and the late, great Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. I want to talk about the passing of Eddie Albert, who was apparently quite a, a man of much more substance than, than we would know. We're going to postpone that and instead focus on our last uh, topic of the day, the loss to the public of um, of of a great actress, Anne Bancroft. Anne Bancroft passed away last week at the age of 73. She won an Academy Award for uh her wonderful performance in The Miracle Worker in 1962 in which she played Annie Sullivan, the teacher who used touch to reach into the world of the blind and deaf Helen Keller. Her fame, however, came from The Graduate, Mike Nichols' classic 1967 uh, a comedy in which she played Mrs. Robinson, a married woman who used her worldly sexuality to seduce a young college graduate. Did you know I was an alcoholic? What? Did you know that? Look, I think I should be going. Sit down, Benjamin. Mrs. Robinson, if you don't mind my saying so, this conversation is getting a little strange. Now, I'm sure that Mr. Robinson will be here any minute now. What? My husband will be back quite late. He should be gone for several hours. Oh, my God. Pardon? Oh, no, Mrs. Robinson, oh, no. What's wrong? Mrs. Robinson, you didn't... I mean, you didn't expect... What? I mean, you didn't really think I'd do something like that. Like what? What do you think? (laughs) Well, I don't know. For God's sake, Mrs. Robinson. (laughs) Here we are, you got me into your house, you give me a drink, you put on music, now you start opening up your personal life to me and tell me your husband won't be home for hours. So? Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. (laughs) Aren't you? That, of course, was the young Dustin Hoffman. Interestingly, Dustin Hoffman was 30 when they filmed The Graduate, and Bancroft was but 36. It's Anne Bancroft that makes it work as Mrs. Robinson. Um, It was noted by Roger Ebert that the still photo of Benjamin regarding Mrs. Robinson's leg in a nylon stocking has become an icon of movie imagery. Her career spanned 50 years, and Anne Bancroft won every major acting award, the Oscar, the Tony, the Emmy, and she played such a range of roles that she defied typecasting. Perhaps most fascinating of all, in real life, she was Mrs. Mel Brooks. And by all accounts, she was every bit as funny as her uh, comedian husband. George Anthony, chief of entertainment programming for the CBC, told uh, <laughs> told Roger Ebert about an incident he witnessed where the two were having a bit of a tiff. At one point, uh, Brooks grabs Bancroft by the arm and she yells, Don't you dare touch my instrument! Raging at him in her highest actor's studio dudgeon, it was described. Oh, so this is your instrument, replied Mel. Yes, this is my instrument, <laughs> which Brooks replied, okay, play Melancholy Baby. Lucky for us, her uh, her work uh, is still out there for all of us to enjoy. I must confess, uh, although I've heard about it my whole life, I, I never have seen The Miracle Worker, a, uh, a deficiency I plan to correct in the not-too-distant future, and... Um, I did recently pick up a DVD copy of The Graduate, and if you haven't seen that in a while, it's probably worth another look.
1: And here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson.
0: Our thanks again to Catherine Ahn and Daniel Stone of the California Aggie, as well as our good friend Lisa Pease in Los Angeles. We'll see you next Thursday at 5 o'clock. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett, and, um, well, stay tuned now for Hometown Atrocities. Oh. And one final note, if you got nothing planned uh, next Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon, we suggest you might want to dial in Insight over on the KXJZ. I'll be sitting in for Jeffrey Callison on, on that show. We'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.